All right, because three is a crowd. I'm here today once again, as always, in the blockhouse. Robert Johnson month, right in the middle of it, with Kelly. How's it going, Kelly? Why did you say blockhouse through gritted teeth? Blockhouse. Oh, because your teeth hurt. No. You just did that for fun. Yeah. You're just having a little take. We're going to have a take today. We're almost 200 episodes. This place is about to <laughs> That's get the leveled up. The blockhouse. The blockhouse. I'm, I'm fine. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Uh, this is a podcast, Kelly, called Sign on the Window. Oh, that's a great name. You know why? That's a Bob Dylan song. <gasps> Wait, I'm sorry. A spoiler. It is. <laughs> and it's a podcast about Bob Dylan. Chances of that being what they are. But this is not a typical podcast. No. Kelly and I spend a week with a Bob Dylan song, any era. We choose it at random except for this week and except for next week. <laughs> and then during that week, which is real, that is a real week, we, we create a public playlist on Spotify where we uh, base it around the song, uh, its title, its theme, whatever it is, which we'll talk about at the end of the episode. And at the end of the week, we get together right here in the blockhouse and we discuss it as a piece of music, as a piece of art, as a piece of history, as a piece of ancient prophecy. Oh, no. And while we talk about the song's context and its relation to Bob Dylan and just music in general, uh, we're going to explore the effects, the effects of the song on us today. I've been listening to Bob Dylan for most of my life. Kelly has heard roughly the same number of songs as the name of a town in Greenwood County, South Carolina. And this week we listened to Pledging My Time off Wait, of 1966. Is it 97? Is there a song? Well, in the morning. All right, Kelly, we spent an entire week with Pledging My Time, 1966, Blonde on Blonde. I think this is our fifth Blonde on Blonde track out of 14. Okay, so when you, because you have a lot of Bob Dylan's albums, I would venture to say all of them. I do. Um, I do have them all. And sometimes you provide me with the booklet, which I, I enjoy. Do. So do you know, I'm I'm already jumping like, I don't care, whatever, we're doing whatever we want because this is our podcast. True. Why is the picture blurry? Do you know why? Has yeah. anyone ever... I think it's just aesthetics. Tell me exactly why it, why the why the picture's blurred on the on, on the cover. Oh, it's pretty cold out. You know, they, I know I know all the critics. Everybody trying to figure. Oh, they were trying to do a, a, a drug shot or a, something. It's not true. Uh, it was February. He was wearing just that jacket, and I was wearing something similar. And the two of us were really cold. And to his credit, he's the one that chose that photograph. You can see there are unblurry photos of of that him standing on that. Um, yeah, standing against the. So that was wall. a choice. That was a choice. Yeah. I mean, it would have to be right. Yeah. No one could see that and be like, "That's blurry." Yeah, but I think it's iconic. I guess it is a real wall, and well, a real alley. It's a real wall. Real wall. Real alley. <laughs> Spared no expense. Um, Went to a real wall. <laughs> <laughs> with the exception of the pop culture at large, my first experience with Bob Dylan intentionally was finding this record mm. at a record store and sending you a picture and saying, "Is this Bob Dylan?" I believe it definitely is. And another classic, the, the best albums are the ones that don't have any identification yep. on them. Yeah. Not the album just, name, not the artist name. I, the, and I mean that seriously, no joke. That is some good shit. Right I mean, there. it's a piece of art friends, especially when you have the record size. Like, Oh God. Nice. Hell yeah. And it's a triple record. Get out of here. Well, that's why I had to ask you. Yeah. Is this Bob Dylan? It is definitely Bob Dylan. <laughs> this was your first experience with Bob Dylan in your entire life. You've now listened to five 
songs off of that record. You probably, when you looked at that record before, never thought in a million years you would ever hear one song no, from it. I did not. But now you've heard five. Mm-hmm. And in this particular song, quite different than the other four, how did you feel about this song this week? It's a solid blues rock song. I appreciate that it was, you know, under four minutes long. It's slow tempo, but it didn't drag for me. It's got yeah. movement to it, and it's, it's it's really solid. There's a lot of great instrumentation on it. Um, most of the piano is fantastic, but I liked it. It didn't grab me, but I didn't hate it. It's another one of those, like, mm. it when I would listen to the playlist, it would just kind of wash over me. Yeah. Which is not a negative critique. Just... It was good. Solid song. Not at all. Not at all. The song itself, and we will talk about uh, the versions because we have them all, was recorded on, in one day, March 8th, 1966, in four takes. The, the last take was on Blonde on Blonde. Uh, it's sandwiched between his recording of Just Like a Woman. So he did Just Like a Woman, took a break with this song, and then finished Just Like a Woman. So we listened to, what, you know, 20 plus takes of that song, uh, episode 84. So if you want to listen to that, uh, this was released as a B side to Rainy Day Women number 12 and 35. His first single off of Blonde on Blonde. And he's played the song 21 times. The very first time he played it was September 12th, almost to the day. I mean, wow. this episode came out just a little bit after that. 1987. Hmm. And the last time he played it was February 25th, 1999. So a song he did not, he didn't really care much about, moved right on. And then the Grateful Dead were like, No, this is what's up. This, this is jam. <laughs> Let's play this song. And he's like, Ugh. Well, you know what? I actually kind of like this song. I can just riff on a blues riff for yeah. however. I'm sure those versions are like fucking seven minutes long. Oh, at least. at least. So, yeah, we didn't listen to any of that. We just listened to um, our versions are going to be obviously Bob's version and um, his version on the cutting edge. But before we even get to that, um, I think it's important, obviously, to look at where the song came from. We're going to talk about the Robert Johnson connection in a bit. But clearly, this is a riff from Elmore James on our playlist. It hurts me too. Pretty much directly drawn from it. And the Mississippi Sheiks did a song called Sitting on the Top of the World, which is also directly influenced, and you can definitely hear it. We will talk about Sitting on the Top of the World because he recorded it for 1992 as good as a venue. So we will actually talk oh, about that song okay. uh, in full when we select it out of the room somewhere. And it would be cool because I would love to talk about the Mississippi Sheiks because they influenced Robert Johnson. So. Uh, and it's incredible that you know it's like uh, the Memphis Junk Band and them like right. how how do we have so much music from them and they played like they stopped playing in like 1930 like it's unreal to me talk about the uh the the other versions that we did yeah uh everybody included on this is pretty much uh standard that we've talked about before bob dylan is playing guitar charlie mccoy is on guitar robbie robertson from the band is on guitar uh, wade moss is on guitar we got everybody playing presumably joe south is on bass al cooper on organ although i don't is there an organ in this I one i couldn't really pick it up if there is they might not all be here but they are physically in the vicinity because they're playing on just like a woman uh hargis pig robbins is who we love on piano henry serzinski is playing bass and henry and K- kenneth buttry kenny is on drums kenny kenny so they are our people take one is a very different version from the one that we have Better. almost ooh almost inconceivable in my mind to be on blonde on blonde 
but is hmm. very fun and fast, but I, doesn't work. I guess I don't me. have the context to know whether or not it would be, but I feel like it would fit on Highway 61 maybe because I do uh, have the context of that album. Yeah. I mean, this is only a couple months after that too. I mean, that's clearly so, where we're rolling. Uh, well, then you're wrong. It could fit on Blonde Blonde just, <laughs> just as well. You know, and if he did put it on, I would say it's a great call. Great call. It came back naturally after stealing my baby. Now he wants to steal me. I'm pledging my time to you. Hoping you'll come through too. Yeah, it's got, well, like an extra verse and like a different verse, but... It's got two two extra verses, which we'll talk about, I think, in the context of the song. So we'll get there in a bit. But it's so much better. I mean, like, because it's just automatically going to hold your attention more. Clearly, like, the recording's not as good. They're like, all, everything's overblown. But that's probably just because it was a rehearsal-type vibe. Like, it wasn't going to be the cut that was on the end. And perhaps Maybe. even, I wonder... I don't know how mixing works super mm. a lot. I'm not a record producer. Well, these are a little bit raw. I think that's the point of that's like, what I'm the saying. cutting like, I want, edge. Because right. even listening to take three, which is the one that's on, and I think we've come across, across this for everything we've ever listened to, there is something about them that does sound different. It does feel different. What is it that's different? I don't know. Something like they must do. in mastering, and, right? Yeah. Like, uh, and this reminds me of the one that's on uh, our playlist by the old Crow Medicine show. They did a whole live version of Blonde on Blonde for the 50th anniversary uh in 2016 and this that to me is the version which i appreciate Mm -hmm. because this song can feel like like you said it kind of it doesn't feel like it's super long but it is just kind of a standard blue song so it does kind of get you know it can get on your nerves if you're not like in the mood for it but i love that old crow just like done Two minutes done. Yeah, that was great. And this is kind of like that. So if you're if you're interested in Bob Dylan doing a version of that. Definitely search that out. Apparently in the studio logs, this song was originally called What Can You Do For My Wigwam? No. And then we get two random things. We get a rehearsal immediately after that because I think he was right away just like, "Mm, maybe there's something else we can do. Uh, And then he comes up and he says, there's got to be a strong beat. And it sounds like he might take the sticks and is like playing the beat as to what he wants it to sound like, which is about to like literally happen. Then we get a false start and then we get the take. Like literally just like that. So something like just like a woman took them 20 plus takes to, to get right. And this one was just done. And I think there's a reason why just like a woman is a, a more masterful song than this one. It's a pretty simplistic song, but it is interesting that they can basically tonally shift the entire thing and do it instantly, which I, I think I'm still in awe. Of. Oh yeah. You know, like tell old bill is like still my favorite. Just it's amazing to listen to it happen. And it's clear that they practiced a little bit off recording because I think it came together a little too sweetly. Whereas like just like a woman, I feel like we get everything. Or at least it feels like we get everything because we can hear every minor change mm-hmm. become what it is. Uh, and every one so far, every one of these that we've had uh, sooner or later, one of us must know is another example, another 20 take song where you can hear line by line, everything getting slowly fleshed out into the version it became whereas this one just kind of let's just change the tone it might help that he's like you know reaching into the past a little bit to kind oh, of sure. directly ape some things but i yeah, mean it's just a standard 12 bar blues yeah i mean there's no there's it's really just the, the the ability of the musicians to play it right and play it well and they all can and it would be familiar it would be super familiar so, so especially when the majority of what he's changing is the tempo? It's mm. not a whole. It's well, not a super big ass. That's the masterfulness of right. of another song. You know, a song that's more his than it is 
the wider blues canon. You know, you're just kind of taking it and like, oh, let's not do it fast. Let's do it slow. Okay, we're good. Which I feel like if he would have kept the the version that was faster, he would have had more distance from that. It would have been less of a like, oh, this is definitely a song that's existed before kind of thing. That's fair. That's fair. I don't know if he was necessarily. I don't know if he cared. I don't think that that probably not. Yeah. I mean, he clearly had a vision. Right, like he he, it needs to sound like this. Yeah. Whether or not it's because it's like I know what it sounds like because it already exists, so it needs to sound like this. Whatever. It's a great. That's a great question. I, I I do have some thoughts about that at the end, which we'll save for then. But Just before we get there, what is happening with this song? Do you mean like what's the song about? What's the song about? Oh my fucking god! I have no idea. Yeah. Um. The extra verse in the cutting edge version gives maybe a little bit more context that it's more straightforward about like um, someone who's pining after somebody who's already kind of they're either with somebody else or they're flirting with somebody else. Like it's unclear if the yeah, it's unclear if if the narrator is already in a relationship with that person and now they're flirting with someone else slash cheating on them with someone else or if that person if the narrator is just pining after someone who's in a relationship already. But that's a good, I mean, and, and all of the songs that we've had, I want you fourth time around. One of us must know just like a woman. They're all, and all of blonde on blonde is fixated upon relationships. Right. It's, it's one of those types of records. And so, yeah, I think relationship stuff is definitely where this is going. Well, sure. As to where they are. That's a good, cause I mean, you're again, using the hobo character for what? Like who is this? Hobo well, that's why I'm saying for? without the context of that additional first verse, actually, Mm, this mm, really mm. went places in my head because yeah. well where did it go i mean at, at one point it's just like metaphor for relationship stuff in the turmoil within however with the hobo edition and like the poison stuff i was like because my hobo edition being first two you're right right <laughs> yes yeah. so we're okay. talking strictly about this the actual blonde on blonde version now yeah i initially i was just like this is a person who's hung over and mm, just like poison addict right. right yeah who's just like pissed about their current relationship or musing on it. Right. But I was like, there's also another version of the song in my head where a couple, like an established couple in a romantic relationship was preyed upon by some hobo clown person. Cause they'd have to be a clown <laughs> that, uh, that was poisoned slash kidnapped, possibly attempted or actually murdered because there's well, an ambulance. The that ambulance comes. Was sent. Yeah. Sure, sure. So, now that so I have it kind of the, becomes a murder. Know. Well, not so much a murder. Bob. Bob might be being murdered. Yeah, by that's the what I'm saying. But we did learn in Music Video Month that him and Scarlett Johansson were going to do a clown themed when the deal goes down. So Bob Dylan <laughs> could also be the clown <laughs> that is doing that the is murder. murdering himself. Another Man. version of himself. Yeah, I mean, it goes deep. It goes deep. If you wanted to, uh, some people online, and I kind of I feel this way. I like this one. Um, people just said it, it sounded like a drug trip. Yeah. And it kind of like, it makes sense. A poison headache. Right. Uh, and then we shift to destitution. Like the, in, if we're taking um, the characters at face value, a hobo takes his girl mm-hmm. um, into the dependency of, of drugs. Mm. Um, right. Cause uh, verse two was, uh, he was going to take me too. That, yeah. Right? Well, yeah. the hobo jumped. Uh, he came naturally after he stole my baby. Then he wanted to steal me. Right. So she got lost in a world of drugs. And then we shift perspective in my head. Um, I'm just kind of making it up at this point. Shifts perspective to the stolen baby, I'm going to call her, which is like his girl, uh, who's asking him to come with her. Right. And pleading that if this doesn't work out, you'll be the first to know. Either if it doesn't work out, they're going to kill you and it's fine. Like, you'll know because you're getting stabbed and dying. Or even the drugs. Like, if you're doing the meth, 
you'll be the first to know if this doesn't work out. But clearly, that's a great like relationship line. If this mm-hmm. isn't working out, you'll be the first to know. You know, he's mm-hmm. in this cl- uh, claustrophobic room. It's only them, and he's having a bad trip, and he wants to leave. And then the ambulance, though, I think that's where it gets all up in the air. Because, like, who is getting on the ambulance? He's saying that someone's lucky. Who's lucky? Is it she? Is she lucky because she's getting on the ambulance, or is he lucky because he wasn't the one not on the ambulance? And then if Stolen Baby is on the ambulance, is he pledging his time to her still, going to the hospital and saying, like, I'm still with you, right? Is that like what that, the chorus, he's singing it throughout the whole song, but does it mean more on the final verse where he's like, I'm pledging my time to you, hoping you come through too. Right. The come through to, to thing. Either sobriety or not dying from an overdose. Or just not dying, right? It's kind of like vague, but then it becomes like maybe more punchy. It's like, I hope you actually come, come to, Mm. like when we use the phrase come to, we mean like you've passed out. As he came to. Right. Like, that's a common But this is too, T-O-O. Right. right. And so that's what also, makes it interesting. Yeah. yeah. And people love that line, and I tend to agree. I think it's genius, because when you first hear it, you want to say, to me. Come right. to me. And the fact that he doesn't do it, I mean, these are little things, and obviously any Bob Dylan, like, fucking loser is going to be like, oh my God, <laughs> what did he do? It's amazing. But, like, I fucking, I love it. It's yeah. so good. Like, come to and he just like leaves it hanging but it means something totally different because even like all of this if it doesn't have to do with drugs or whatever it is just hoping that you come to is almost um doing that that thing where you're giving that other person agency like they're living their lives and i hope that you come as well but i can't force you to come i can't bring you through the door or whatever so it's kind of a that's a nice sentiment if you're like talking about a relationship, right? And someone's like moving on even mm-hmm. and they want to go on to the next phase in their life, which kind of has happened in one of us must know and just like a woman, they've got this, you know, you, I was hungry and it was your world. Well, like, you know, breaking on through to the other side. I want you to come on your own volition and not be dragged to the next stage of your life, my life, whatever it is. But anyways, if we stick to this the first two verses from the faster version are pretty interesting because our first verse is baby got jealous. She took five tripped with a hobo and left me here alive tripped. You know Mm -hmm. I mean? We're kind of more drug references, but then we get to the final verse, the real final verse. If we take the first version on the cutting edge after the ambulance and all of that, and hoping that you come through too, he sings another verse. Well, I'm going to play a wigwam. I better tell you now. If you don't know how to play, I thought playing with Wall might be like a, a phrase or it might be like a game, but it's it's nothing. There's no, I don't know what that is. There's no turn of phrase such as no, I'm playing with Wigwam. Wigwam is, is a Native American house structure. Right? structure. Yeah. Um, and so I can only assume that playing Wigwam would mean cutting and running, you know, going to the woods, going off, oh. kind of doing his new morning stuff. You know, I'm going to go and mm, gotcha. go get some trout and stuff like that. Like that to me is like, and so when he's saying, I'm hoping you'll come through too. It's almost more explicit, like have fun in the hospital. I'm hope when you come out, I'm going to be going to play wigwam, going to go out to the woods and maybe you'll want that too. Instead of going back to drugs or whatever, you'll come with me to the woods. I don't know. Hmm. Making shit up. Yeah. Well, we could do without that verse. I don't know that it adds anything. It doesn't add anything. Just, then it got no, cut. Not at all. Uh, he does have a song called wigwam, which we will eventually talk about, uh, but it's just an instrumental. So, it's a fun word. 
It's a great word. He was attached to it, clearly. I, I really like the drug metaphor. Yeah. I think that that fits perfectly. And it's interesting that I also thought that there was a change even in my weird clown murder now oh, I mean, narrative uh, of perspective from like at yeah. one point, you know, it was Bob talking about seeing this happen and then turning into that thing where, you know, like the character switching from whomever's telling the story. But th- I think that works perfectly. The drug narrative. That's really powerful, actually, if it is, in fact, like a yeah. poetic metaphor about addiction not only yourself dealing with it but watching a partner deal with it it's yeah. like that's and then really you agree cool. to go down the hole with them yeah. because you want to be with them and then it gets to too much man that's great there's a song in there it's not a standard not blues song. song yeah it's <laughs> a, but that's that's cool uh another one i saw online which is pretty interesting uh is that this is almost a primer for the album to come it's almost talking to you hoping you'll come through to come through the oh, record with yeah, me maybe you know it's kind of like sergeant peppers sure this is the band. Let's go on a journey. It's very fun. I like yeah. albums that do that. This is not one of them. But Yeah, well, I don't know if I can trust anything you say now because you are officially a self-proclaimed Bob Dylan loser. I, <laughs> it's true. It's true. I mean, what can I say? Uh, but honestly, it's probably just about a relationship, and that's and that's good enough. A few no, years. no, this will always be about drugs for me and so. clowns. I mean, I, I, <laughs> no, my, my like, mine was really loose and thin, and like no, we can. But still, this hobo like, stuff, man. Someday we really got to tackle what's going on with this hobo yeah. stuff. He really seems to bring it up a lot. Yeah, it's really a weird trope. It's kind of like gambling. I mean, you could instantly oh, just yeah. be like, this is a gambling song, right? Lost all this money. You're going off on the... It's just like, man, this is part... Immediately, it's part of Seven Curses Expanded Universe. No, we can't throw everything we in there. I know, because everything cannot be fucking gambling. No, thank you. A few lyrical notes to note. <clears throat> the line, and if it don't work out, you'll be the first to know, was apparently a lyrical idea that he had been previously writing in notebooks and had been part of his repertoire, but it never found it, its way into a song until now. So um, of all of these weird Bob Dylan ephemera out there, sometimes they do get pulled into a song. So he was clearly looking for a place to put that, and this was the song. Uh, as I mentioned before, the stroke of genius for the come to and two. But the one I want to bring up, being that it's Robert Johnson month, is a similarity to Robert Johnson's song, Come On In My Kitchen. Mm. The last verse of the Blonde on Blonde version, well, they sent an ambulance and one got sent. Somebody got lucky and it was an accident. Uh, kind of coincides with uh, the woman I love, took from a best friend, some joker got lucky, stole her back again. come on in my kitchen. It's to be Does this song work today? Do we hear a lot of blues in our normal That's what I was going just about kind of thinking. our lives? We haven't really talked about that. Yes, in that blues is pervasive in all rock and roll. Sure. Being the kind of the foundation of it, right? Like it's, you can't get away from it and just kind of learning more about not the 12 bar blues. Very I mean? specifically, like, sure. Uh, I mean, I think it, ask the black keys. I think that it probably, <laughs> it probably could work today. Um, I, I think the, um, <laughs> the, what is Get it? on the horn. <laughs> the, the, what is it? Murderous crows, whatever the thing on the, the playlist. Yeah. Thing? I mean, that's, that's like, was it incubus? No. Oh yeah. Murder of crows. Right. Yeah. Their album. Yes. Something like that. Anyway. Uh, I mean, that's a modern-day bluegrass band, right? Yeah, oh, yeah. So, uh, sure. People are still doing it. People are oh, still consuming that music. Bluegrass, Ch- yeah. County Lion, like, so yeah. this could fit, for sure. I like the drug metaphor. I think if we went mm. back to it lyrically and maybe expanded on that, that, that you can 
definitely taken to today. Um, yeah. Not that like, I think that's pretty drugs funny. are necessarily more rampant than they ever were, but just like that, that sentiment is it, seeing anybody addic- like lost to addiction is, is kind of a, yeah. an eternal thing. Um, so yes, well, and know. also just like the, the, we haven't even talked about the idea of like pledging my time, like mm. the idea of pledging my time, like what are you pledging it to? You're pledging it to listening to the record. I think that pays off obviously pledging your time to drugs and alcohol. Sure. It's like that becomes a huge part of your life. I think that makes it work even more. I mean, I haven't even thought about the song title. Like, just what the song is about. You know, we pledge our time to stuff all the time. Right. You know, bad stuff, shitty stuff, and things that we want to pledge more time to. Especially being, like, on the low end of this capitalist society we find ourselves in, the most power we have is time. Yeah. Right? We don't have... We being millennials, the fucking doom generation. It's not dark yet, but it's good. (laughs) Yeah, we... uh, We don't have any money, but we sure have time. That's our really only power is collective time. Time is... That's what you need. So that's like, what I want. and that's why putting your time into certain things and, and specifically not putting your time into other things is yeah. the most powerful uh, thing we can do. A lot of the, a lot of the time I've said time too many times. I, I don't know. If this means song, something now. I don't know if the song does it the way that my time by minus the bear. Oh, the bear does it. No. My time. Bob Dylan devoted his book, writing and drawings to Woody Guthrie and Robert Johnson quote to the magnificent Woody Guthrie and Robert Johnson who sparked it off and to the great wondrous melodious spirit which covereth the oneness of us all. And the Johnson connection is probably a bit tenuous with this song. I mean, he literally covers 3220 Blues, which we're going to talk about next week. Down the Highway, Crossroad Blues, like that really fits. This one was kind of tough. This was more just like picking a blues song. But the connections between Dylan and Johnson are pretty myriad. So just to, in terms of does it work, between Robert Johnson, who I think is eternally relevant, and Bob Dylan, who I think will be eternally relevant, I think it is relevant. Robert Johnson wasn't a powerful singer, huge quote unquote, you know how I feel about that shit. Um, but there's something to him on the mic that draws you in the same way Bob Dylan does. Like then, now, and forever. You will hear Robert Johnson, you will hear Bob Dylan, and you'll be like, I have to listen to this. I, what What is going on here? Bob Dylan and Robert Johnson were both showmen, for sure. Uh, Robert Johnson made more money, two to three times more money on playing the juke joints than the average performer hmm. at the time, uh, about $6, which was two to three, which is, I mean, like, this is 1930, so, uh, which is during the What's that inflation rate? Did you check? I, I don't know. <laughs> and then Dylan can always point to the 1966 tour and especially Rolling Thunder and be like, have you ever commanded a stage like that? Okay, sit down. Like. Hmm. But they're not known for that. They're not actually known for being strong performers or strong, even like personalities, like outsides of life. Like uh, Robert Johnson really butted um, up against that with people like Charlie Patton, Son House, Skip James. They were bigger, more influential. They were bigger showmen. And at the time, it was all about showmanship. And he was a shy guy who didn't do that kind of stuff. And Bob Dylan will always be second fiddle to the Beatles and the Rolling Stones. He just didn't have the same clout as them. He wasn't as famous as them. He might outlast them in terms of artistic creation, but certainly at the time. I mean, he's part of it, but he was not the Beatles. Let's be very clear. And finally, Robert Johnson took from his forebearers, people like Papa Charlie Jackson, Leroy Carr, Mississippi Sheiks, who are on our playlist, and Tampa Red, and he elevated the blues from something that was just unrelated lyrics and put it into songs of coherency, telling one story with multiple different um, you know, chord changes and, and changing outlooks and making bridges and doing stuff that weren't being done. Come in My Kitchen is a great example. You listen to that song. There's a lot of different little What does kitchen mean? It. I don't know. 
Do you know? It's definitely a metaphor or something. Wow. And while Dylan did the same, uh, his forebearers were Robert Johnson and Woody Guthrie. And I think we're doing that today. People are making music right now that I don't think we can effectively evaluate, but they're doing it on the backs of Bob Dylan. Oh, sure. Paul McCartney. And these are, these are their straight throughs, um, that I think will take time to kind of see. And also they're students of music. We learned in remastered that Robert Johnson would play ragtime and polka, uh, while he was busking before he played a gig. You know, and Bob Dylan, of course, has released a record of standards, has released an all country record, has done a record of 80 synth pop. Like, it's wild, you know, and Pledging My Time, I think, is the apex for that, like, knowledge of blues. I think that's kind of the last time we just get, like, pure blues like that, just taking the style itself and just like, here's my roadmap. I'm going to sing a blues song. And he just does it. Um, and volume one, we get that sped up version, which mellows into the modern version. Robert Johnson did that too. Of all of his songs that we have, if you go listen to the Centennial Collection, you can hear, especially a song like Come On, Come on in My Kitchen, the fast version was recorded. That was the one people thought were, was going to be like Sunhouse, like um, Skip James. It was going to make money. But it's today, you, look, you listen to the melancholy one, the slower version. That's the one that has more of an impact on you. And Bob Dylan has done that, and Robert Johnson does that. And I think that connection between the two will always make Bob Dylan doing the blues, especially if you're into the blues and want to know more about it. This song will always hit you. The moment that it starts, you're like, ah, I'm in a familiar place. And I think that's quite nice. In terms of it being on Blonde on Blonde, it's unavoidable. You have to listen to it if you're listening to the record. But I have come around. I really like the song now. The Elmore James connection is also directly back to Robert Johnson. And this is Robert Johnson month, so it's appropriate. It um, he was actually kind of a contemporary. He was yeah, like yeah. born in 1918, and he they kind of – I couldn't confirm if they played together or if he just like – Well, he's famous for the, the Dust Broom – his band, yeah. yeah. So he made a lick of that, whatever that broom song is. The dust broom blues, something like that, yeah. Something. Something about dust my, my broom. It's dust, dust my broom. Yeah. What the fuck? Well, everything well, is sex. Dylan, everything but, is sex. And dust my broom is on a great song called High Water for Charlie Patton. I mean, I love sweeping up. I love it. I love <laughs> that it. song love is definitely about brooms. Uh, there's also a song from the 1920s about uh, harvesting cabbage, something about cabbage oh, God, time, yes, and it's also yeah, about yes. sex. And, yeah, or, everything. Uh, reefer. Oh, yeah. Right. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. It's all sex and drugs. Sex and drugs. Never let anyone tell you. Well, this is sex or drugs. Right? There's no <laughs> make America great to get back to. It no. was always about sex and drugs, right? And honestly, let's bring it. Let's bring that back. Let's, More sex and drugs. Let's honestly. do it. Let's and speakeasies. Ugh. So fun. Come on. Anyway. Yeah. So Elmore James was directly influenced, obviously, by Robert Johnson in that he was even a contemporary and took that lick and kind of made it... Uh, just brought it back into the scene. Like he wasn't part of the blues revival necessarily because he died right around the sixties. But yeah, uh, I think it's, but he went to Chicago. That was the difference. Everybody went to Chicago taking the Delta blues and electrifying it. That's the Chicago. And the electrifying it. That's the huge part of it. And Elmore James apparently was also a radio repairman. And he, he actually would tinker with his amps and he made that distorted sound. Mm. He's basically who we have to thank for what electric blues are like, which is fucking insane. And that's the direct, uh, descendant or antecedent is yeah. that the word uh, of robert johnson like if it weren't for robert johnson's inspiration on elmore Senate. james then like to to like make this i want this sound but i want it i want it to have a, a different life to it sure and then adding you know his own vocal twist to it and all that kind of stuff but like and then bob dylan and it's like i don't know thanks yeah. robert johnson yeah you go right from that <laughs> to like callum wolf and money yeah, waters yeah, and, totally. then, and then to someone like um 
I mean, even people like Robbie Robertson and people that were influenced by, by them, you know, white kids who heard it. it. It's all about just happenstance coming across that record at your record stop shop. You know, today you can find anything you want. Back then, if you lived in a town that only in your the guy who owned it loved Chicago blues and fucking hated Delta that's blues, what you're getting. that's what you're getting, and that's your whole life has been impacted by that by that regions decision, and geography. It's which so is funny, fucking wild. I mean, it's the same thing with '70s punk, right? It's like yeah, UK yeah. punk versus New York punk, and like well, the only real punk that matters, <laughs> DC punk <laughs> and West Coast punk. Let's get it. Let's get sure, it. sure, sure, sure. New but York. that's even so more now. 80s, right? Like I'm talking about like, yeah. more like Velvet Underground and like even, you know, early uh, Blondie Ramones and stuff. We get Blondie, like all the proto-punks, like Patti Smith yeah. and that kind of thing. I was up this morning. Blues were like a man. I was up this morning. Blues were like a man. Give me your right hand. Every time I'm a child, told me all upside down. All right, Kelly, we are a real podcast. Did you know? You can follow us intermittently as we update stuff on Twitter, on Facebook, sort of, <laughs> not really, and on Instagram sometimes. Yeah, I, we promise we're getting back. If we you promise. engage us. Oh, you will get engaged back with. Yeah, you're going to get shouted out on this podcast straight up. That's so if right. you want to be shouted out, we have a Patreon. You give us $1 and we say that an episode is brought to you. Sponsored by. Sponsored by. This is sponsored by you. Yes. You want to hear your name on a podcast? Here's your chance. That's all I got. Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> and if you don't want any of that, that's totally fine. If you want to just enjoy the podcast and tell your friends about it, that's great. And if you want to listen to our playlist... We love it when you engage them. We love all the people that have subscribed to our uh, ever-changing playlist on Spotify. If you search, see that my playlist is kept clean. You're going to see what it is we're listening to in the episode that's currently out um, in the moment. So that will constantly be changing. But if you want to go back to a specific episode or a song that you really love, and you can kind of see the songs that we sort of paired with it, either because of lyrics or because of song titles or whatever it is, you kind of get a glimpse into the music that we kind of uh, like and we've, you know, get a better idea of who we are. Uh, you can just search any of the songs and put the put SOTW at the end and you'll find it. It'll be one of the first things popping up. Or you can go to our website, SOTWpod.com. It's on every one of our show notes. You'll see the playlist right there for you to listen to. This week, we had another pretty great playlist. Uh, strongly great. disagree. This is the worst one we may have ever done. Wow. Yeah, I hated it. I mean, there's a lot of big misses, but there's some great songs on here. Sure. I mean, especially like, okay, so the blues ones that tie in directly mm. to the song, great. Great. There's a couple of other ones that are okay. Uh-huh. There's a lot of big misses <laughs> on this playlist. Right. This is like, this one's dark. Okay, listen, uh, when I say there's another great playlist, it's because every playlist we do is great because this podcast is great. We can't just, hey, hey, everybody. I know. We have a mediocre I'm playlist. I'm just saying, if this is the first time you've ever listened uh, to one of our so- playlists... Promise, I, we promise it's bad. This is I mean, a low note. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm working with the best I can, the best I can here. Welcome back to the playlist, oh, man. Robert Johnson. Great, sure. Robert Johnson month. You're currently in it. Love it. Soak it in. Mississippi Sheiks, always great. Yes. Second time we've listened to them on the podcast. Hot water music. Love hot water music. Can't go wrong. Kiss, yes perversely no, the no, kiss no 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 that song was awful and when it came on i was like what the fuck is happening i, I didn't that. know if i was still in the same playlist the worst i'm sorry to all the kiss fans out there actually i'm not sorry it's so 
bad. Does All Kiss sound like that? It's so bad. It all sounds like that. Holy shit. Like, I've heard Love Gun for sure in yeah, whatever like favorite Kiss. So like Love Gun's okay. I mean, it's gross because he's talking about his dick the whole time, but... <laughs> This is so bad. Uh, yeah, no, it's not good, but it's it's just. This must be like a really late kiss. I feel like because this is like the most commercially mm. like. Someone said, uh, "Can you write a song that's a commercial for your band commercial?" I don't even mean like we're trying to sell a product. The product we're trying to sell is Kiss memorabilia. You need to write a song about Kiss. Kiss the band. Write a song about Kiss. It's the most self indulgent, gross fucking rock song I may have ever heard in my life. <laughs> so there's that for you. Amazing. So normally most people would just hear that and instantly tune out because it's butt rock and it's bad. Well, yeah. But, but I'm glad you engaged and you got fired up. Well, I'm a purist about our podcast and I must listen to the, po- the playlist as it is. There will be no skipping. I love it. Uh, so do I. Uh, so do I. I love our, po- our, our, our playlist. Whoa. Shots fired. I, I am also a purist. You out there do not have to be a purist. If you don't want to listen to Kiss, please skip to the next song. Wilson Pickett, for sure, has been on there before. Old Crow Medicine Show. Every We'll play them for every blood and blood. And uh, Portishead. Welcome to the podcast for the very first time. Elmore James. Love it. Mannequin Pussy. That was, what a great name for a band. A great name for a band. <laughs> New record out is fantastic. Highly recommend. Suicidal Tendencies. Absolutely love listening to them again. It's been a long time. All I know is the one song about the Pepsi that then Limbiscuit later references. Fuck anything with Limbiscuit, but Suicidal Tendencies is dope. That song is also bad. Yikes. <laughs> you know what's a yikes? Ja Rule. Ja Rule with Ashanti, <laughs> Nas, and Tupac at the it's end. So good. It was, oh my God. It was really bad. No, no, wow. I hated it. I hated it. It was really bad, but like, I had to That do was it. one of the worst things I've ever I heard in my life. I had to do it. Can you, I love Ja Rule shouting murder. Don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. But that Tupac shit at the end, talk about self-indulgent. Yeah, talk yeah. about the indulgence. That gets me more. Like, I don't give a fuck about some <laughs> shitty rock band singing I Pledge Allegiance. It's like we burned, the, we built the city on rock and roll. We burned the city That's down on rock song. and roll. That's a great song. But it's, it's bullshit. You didn't do any of that. You're not a fucking architect. Like, this is dumb. <laughs> you're not an architect. This is dumb. But like when you're bringing a dead man into your song and Nas had to be on this, man. And it's hilarious now because Ja Rule is such a joke. But like, man, Murda Inc. was really like a thing. Irv Gotti is on, oh, credited yeah. on this track. But he's not on the track. He's just shouted out. He's he's not a person, right? He's just a... He's a producer, isn't he's he? He's a producer. Yeah. Bob Johnston's not like credited on a <laughs> fucking John Wesley Harding. Yeah. Like, what are no, we doing fair. here? Fuck Irv Gotti. Oh, no, it's a terrible Fuck song. Murda. I saw it, but I didn't make I it love happen. it. I mean, I love it. It's on the playlist. It's fucking fantastic. <laughs> Johnny Ace. Love it. Resonant. Getting that. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. That nice. Uh, Weird lo-fi hip hop. Uh, Peaches and Herb. Trouble. Terrible. Oh, that was Herb. That's you. That's I know. You. I know. I contributed it to it. I'm you not contributed not... most of it. Lana Del Rey. <laughs> no. That's a no. It should have been literally any. I don't know enough Lana Del Rey, but I want an original. I don't want. Fucking summer. I mean, the fans were that. clamoring for a Sublime cover. They were clamoring. They I were don't like, count myself as a fan. If only, like, I, I, I do like Lana Del Rey, but I won't get but into it we until we get the Sublime cover. Sublime cover. And can we And this also, was my door with my little foot. My and can it sound in, just like Sublime? <laughs> but just. Dude, like, don't change Earth. it at all. No. Still got to have the ska riffs. Which is the best kind of cover it. when you don't actually change the song. They it's just the karaoke version. change the song. Like. And then you didn't change it. Yeah. It was already a cover. Yeah, it was already yeah. a cover. But yeah. they changed it mm-hmm. significantly. Mm-hmm. 
But she just did karaoke to the song. She did a karaoke. And that's what we all wanted. No to this is all I wrote. <laughs> Soccer Mommy. Uh, she Great. was uh, yeah, fantastic and was uh, recommended in 20, I want to say 17. God, it was already two years ago that that record came out. Closest thing to a guilty pleasure that I have is Wasting My Time by Default. I fucking love that song. I love that song. I don't know fucking why. Wasting my time. Do you know why? Wasting my time. Because we are of the unfortunate age where we were forced to hear that song. Okay, so that was like a thing then. Oh, yeah. Was it 2005? You couldn't go into a TJ Maxx and not hear that fucking song. You couldn't go to Applebee's and not hear that fucking song. It was on every TV, every radio station, everywhere for a solid fucking year. If you were ever looking for uh, a highbrow Nickelback... Default. I mean, I would take them over Nickelback. That's for sure. Oh, sure. But I didn't know that was the conversation we were having. <laughs> well, it's the only one you can't have. Who's gonna say like you gotta check out Default? No. Oh yeah, they they were right up there with Unwritten Law for me. That Whoa. like yeah. Let's see, Unwritten yeah. Law has a whole other life. Like a Default might have another life, but as far mean. as I know, Default is just like. Well, yeah. Butt rock. Yeah. They got All I've up got in that is emo. that sing red. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah they yeah. got wrapped up in that. Uh, then to to go to something that probably we also hate. Uh, WWE, Triple E. That was a triple, late edition. Triple H in China. Is that the theme, theme, theme Like Was that when they were part of the Generation X? Song. Yeah, I think it would have been Situation? right after Generation Because I think they referenced the corporation, I want to say. Okay. Uh, doing the DX we were, we're both now. doing it. Yeah, can't it's real bad. It, yeah. um, a couple of my favorite lines from that song, All Your Stupid Rules, and Does Anybody Know Who's Sleeping With Who? Great lyrics. I mean, wow. you got to... Wow. Can't really fault. R.I.P. Josie is that her name? Jody. Uh, I don't know. China. Jody. Yeah, R.I.P. I she think it's Jody. Super dead. And yeah. um, Triple H is married to Stephanie McMahon. I know, but wow. that's been a long fucking time, which is Listen, wild too. I, I know. I thought I'm, it was just a plot line. It was real life. To end it, welcome to Zaya. Zaya. Sure, I don't know. You didn't mention Drake. Oh, Drake and Drake, of course. Sorry. Welcome to welcome back, Drake. Yeah. Back for, for the fortieth time, Drake. Thanks, Drake. Well, it seemed like yesterday. Was looking dark, it felt so cold and gray. And why the hell am I even here? What's the purpose? All I feel is guilt and hate and fear. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, till that day you came along. My heart was empty like the soul. We have pledged our time. <laughs> the time is pledged. Kelly, we were also people in the world this week. We listened to stuff. Maybe we looked at things, read things. I don't know what people do. What were you doing this week outside of Robert Johnson month? Uh, not a lot because mm. it's been pretty consuming. Robert Johnson. Yeah. Um, but I did. <sighs> the rebellious teen in me is oh. always like against listening to people's suggestions as far as when people tell me something's good or not apparently i am just like yeah yeah that's nice i'm sure that's probably fine yeah. i mean i do that with your suggestions all the time mm-hmm. like even though i know they're good because i've listened to stuff on the playlist that you put on there i always forget about them and yeah. then i'm like yeah sure sure i'll get around to that uh the b-52s is one of those bands uh-huh. that like throughout time people have been like they're fucking good and you should take them seriously and i'm like yeah yeah, yeah. Oh, okay sure sure i will at some point and yeah. i don't know what it was i just like got rock lobster stuck in my head for some reason and i was like i'm gonna fucking listen to that album so the b52 self-titled 79 release that rock lobster is on done it is so fucking good it's so far out there and it just like 
I didn't know they were from America. I thought they were British for some reason. Oh, me too. But yeah, they're I, from out of California. And so good. It's like before, um, like the queer punk movement of the late 80s and early 90s, it was like they were doing their own weird thing. Like all of them are like on the gay spectrum. They're all just like little fucking weirdos pulling sci-fi clips and doing this strange really? like integrative music art project and it's just so fucking good it's all so catchy and interesting and really holds you on like planet claire is like amazing fucking song the whole album is just fantastic and you should not i i've slept on the b52s for 30 years it's too fucking long <laughs> and I, I encourage you to to go check out at least that album i haven't gone all the way through the big cosmic love is the one that's got love shack mm-hmm. and rome which are like arguably which the, we definitely did songs. during music video month yeah. when you when you hear out on the street people are like What's the point of music video month? What's the point? <laughs> chatter, 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 chatter. This is a success story right yeah, here. Yeah, we sure. wouldn't have come to it if we didn't watch Love Shack. Probably. Yeah. Almost 100% sure. Because, I mean, Love Shack's solid. Great song. But great like, song. it doesn't... The but things it feels they were doing, campy. It feels like, right. oh, I can't do this for And it's so poppy. Yeah. yeah, and it, it just feels kind of commercial and packaged yeah, yeah. really well. And even Rome, too. There's like, there's just pop bangers. This this shit from 79 was like experimental, but in a in a accessible way. But that's so better. Good. It's better when you're fun and silly and shit like that. And then you do a song like Love Shack where it's like, this fits not only their style, but also it just happened to be popular. Right. That's the best kind of music. But without that, that context of them being this weirdo art mm-hmm. band, you're like, oh, that's just a pop song. It's a but band you can kind of see it on the video. Oh, and for sure. It's a fucking weird For video. sure, yeah. But you might just think it's a shtick, you know, if you didn't know. So mm-hmm. I'm glad that it's like a thing. They yeah, are just that way. Authentic weirdos. I fucking love it. Yeah. Definitely gonna, it's on my list. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I don't take you seriously. So. <laughs> Real simple. Fair enough. While we were doing Robert Johnson Month, I finished a book that just came out. I was probably the first person at the library to get it because I read his book from 2016, the National Book Award-winning book, Stamped from the Beginning, A History of Racist Ideas in America by Ibram X. Kendi. He wrote a new book called How to Be an Anti-Racist, and he's all over the place. Apparently, it's like number one on Amazon, which is fucking great. People are buying a book called How to Be Anti-Racist. Good. And... I love it, and I think it like fits well into this Robert Johnson month. Thinking about the blues, thinking about especially the history of racism and things like that. Thesis of the book, quote, what's the problem with being not racist? It's a claim that signifies neutrality. I'm not a racist, but neither am I aggressively against racism. But there is no neutrality in the racism struggle. The opposite of racist isn't not racist. It's anti-racist. There is no in-between safe space for not racist. The claim of not racist neutrality is a mask for racism. This may seem harsh, but it's important at the outset that we apply one of the core principles of anti-racism, which is to return the word racist itself back to its proper usage. Racist is not, as Richard Spencer argues, a pejorative. It's not the worst word in the English language. It is not the equivalent of a slur. It is descriptive, and the way to undo racism is to consistently identify and describe it and then dismantle it. Uh, he, He defines very simply racist as A racist is one who is supporting a racist policy through their actions or inaction or expressing a racist idea. 
An anti-racist is one who is supporting an anti-racist policy through their actions or expressing an anti-racist idea. And it's like so simple, but I don't know this. I found this to be a really intriguing book. I'm thinking about a lot of other people reading it because we don't really think about it in terms of policies. And one of the core things about this book is it takes the idea of moral suasion, the idea that you can convince white, if you convince enough white people that black people in this case are human beings, then things will change, right? That's a that's a core defining aspect of American history. If we can convince enough white people that we're okay, things will be fine. And he's coming down on the side of moral suasion needs to be let go of. Anti-racist policy, power, is what we're talking about. Uh, then he touches on probably the thing that I think most white people, when they pick up this book, are going to be looking at, which is his chapter on white, white people. You know, this idea of, he looks at the idea of white genocide. He says, quote, history tells a different story. White supremacists are the ones supporting policies that benefit racist power against interests of the majority of white people. White supremacists claim to be pro-white, but refuse to acknowledge that climate change is having a disastrous impact on the earth white people inhabit. They oppose affirmative action programs despite white women being the primary beneficiaries. White supremacists rage against Obamacare, even though 43% of people who gain life-saving health insurance from 2010 to 15 were white. They hail Adolf Hitler's Nazis, even though it was the Nazis who launched the world war that destroyed the lives of over 40 million white people and ruined Europe. They wave Confederate flags and defend Confederate monuments, even though the Confederacy started a war that ended with more than 500,000 white American lives lost more than any war in America, any American war combined. White supremacists love what America used to be, even though America used to be and still is teeming with millions of struggling white people. White supremacists blame non-white people for their struggles of white people people when any objective analysis of their plight primarily indicates the rich white trumps that they support white supremacist is code for anti-white and white supremacy white supremacy is nothing short of an ongoing program of genocide against the white race in fact it is more than that white supremacist is a code for anti-human a nuclear ideology that poses an existential threat to human existence and interestingly and, and most importantly he says near the end of the book, that to be anti-racist is to be anti-capitalist. Simple as that. Quote, to love capitalism is to end up loving racism. To love racism is to end up loving capitalism. The idea that capitalism is merely free markets, competition, free trade, supplying and demanding, and private ownership of the means of production operating for the profit is as whimsical and as ahistorical as white supremacist idea that calling something racist is the primary form of racism. And at the very end, he kind of likens everything back to his cancer. He had been studying this stuff. His wife actually had cancer and Jeez. he felt so bad about leaving her when she was sick to basically go. And if you've read Sam from the beginning, it's just like a litany of racist justification after racist justification. It's a really tough book to get through. And then when he found out he had cancer, he was like, I have to write this book, this book that is like, I need to take what I learned here because people are going to benefit from that, but maybe they'll benefit more from this. And he said, quote, our world is suffering from metastatic cancer, stage four. Racism has spread to nearly every part of the body politic, intersecting with bigotry of all kinds, justifying all kinds of iniquities by victim blaming, heightening exploitation and misplaced hate, spurring mass shootings, armed races, and demigods who polarize nations, shutting essential organs of democracy, and threatening the life of human society with nuclear war and climate change. In America, in the United States, metastatic cancer has been spreading contracting and threatening to kill the American body as nearly as it did in its birth and nearly as it did during the civil war. But now many people stare inside the body of the nation's racial inequities, their neighborhood's racial inequities, 
their occupations racial inequities, their institutions racial inequities, and flatly deny that their policies are racist. They flatly deny that racial inequity was a signpost of racial of racist policy. They flatly deny the racist policy as they use racist ideas to justify the racial inequity. They flatly deny the cancer of racism as the cancer cells spread and literally threaten their own lives and the lives of people in spaces and places they hold dear. The popular conception of denial, like the popular strategy of suasion, is suicidal. It's just people should all exist and we need to accept it and you need to celebrate it in a way that doesn't perpetuate things based on perceived notions about the world. And if we don't do it, then everything's going to disappear or we're going to go back in time. I mean, we felt that watching the blues thing. It's just oh, yeah. watching this whole thing. And you're just seeing like, Obama and just like seeing... being bummed the fuck out. And I think a lot of this is this, you know, you read something like this or, you know, I'm reading this while watching that I'm reading this while a mass shooting happens. You're like, it's really hard to continue to go on. So this is a, it's a hard book. It's a challenging book, um, but your library for sure has it. So if you don't have the Libby app or whatever, I highly recommend reading it. I highly recommend listening to it. He's an incredible writer. And I think that this idea he's on big talk shows. He's like on ABC this morning and stuff. Like hmm. I cannot believe a message like this is like on mainstream TV and stuff. And he's such a brilliant mind that I'm, I'm super excited and I can't wait for whatever the hell he does in with the rest of his life. So I wanted to share that history of, uh, how to be an anti-racist, uh, by Ibram X. Kendi, I think fits in well with our discussion about the blues. Kelly, thank you for indulging me. And I followed her to the station with my suitcase in my hand and I followed her to the station with a suitcase in my hand well it's hard to tell it's hard to tell when all your love's in vain all your love all right Kelly we are done with pledging my time are like 100th blonde on blonde cut i but don't remember any of the other songs so i want you okay one sooner or later one of us must know okay fourth time around okay yeah i lied i know all of them yeah i think there's <laughs> one more shit hmm. time fourth time around reclaiming my time reclaiming my time okay. time time all the time hit time everywhere but no more time now no more time now no more time now we're so close we need to pick episode 97. 97. It's still Robert Johnson month, but I want you to forget about that. <laughs> One out of 413, Kelly. Episode 97. What are you guessing? 170, please. 170. You got it. 170 coming at you. 170. Ooh. The Worried Blues. Worried Blues. Not the. Oh, no, wow. the. Worried Blues. Great. Not the right answer. <laughs> Robert Johnson Month concludes next week, everybody. So please tune in to the conclusion of that, where we are going to be doing the song 3220 Blues, which is a cover by Robert Johnson from King of the Delta Blues. And, you know, he only has so much, so many songs. So we're going to be talking uh, in the end about Robert Johnson, his legacy and everything beyond Bob Dylan and into the future. So join us for the mix up confusion that will follow that. But if you're interested, follow up with uh, Pledging My Time because we're going to talk about Robert Johnson and the record. So if you're interested in that, you can go listen to the Mixed Up Confusion on that. Kelly, it's over. We're going to pick three random songs to get us to 100. 
are you ready to do as John Davis asked us all at the beginning of Corn Self Titled 1994 <laughs> album? <laughs> Wait, oh, he asked, Are you ready? At the beginning of Blind. Well, that's fine. So I asked the answer you. is, Can you see? Can you see? I'm going blind. That's the answer. On that note, we'll see you next week for Blind Millie McTell. No, that's. Holy shit. No, no, that's our last song. We'll see you for episode 97, 3220 Blues.